Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. It is Monday, July 18th, 2022. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. Last Wednesday, after a six-month nationwide search, Mayor Wu announced the appointment of Roxbury native Michael Cox as the new police commissioner of Boston Police. Cox, who is currently the chief of police of Ann Arbor, Michigan Police Department, starts his new role with Boston Police on August 15th. Mayor Wu spoke of the consequential moment of his appointment after three months of public listening sessions. It has taken us a long time to get here as a city. To a day when a young boy growing up in Roxbury, playing here in this very park, could rise up in the ranks serving his community, gain important leadership experience in another city, then return home to become the next commissioner for the Boston Police Department. He had a sharp intellect. He was a man that could tell me what was happening on the street and communicate to me what the neighborhoods were looking for. And that was really helpful to me when I was commissioner. So it's a thrill to have him here. But even more importantly, as you heard today, he's reached out to the men and women of the police department. The mayor said this is a cons consequential time for policing. There has been no more consequential time in my, in my lifetime than today. And we are giving the reins of this police department over to a man that will serve the community and the police officers, men and women uh, who do the work, dangerous work out there day to day very well. So congratulations, Michael. Cox served 30 years with Boston Police Department before leaving for Michigan in 2019. He's the 44th police commissioner, filling a role which has been vacant for over a year. Among Cox's priorities is diversifying BPD so the force looks like the diverse communities it serves. Tasked with leading and reforming the department, Cox hopes to bridge the gap of understanding between the neighborhoods of Boston and police. Officers work hard. This is a hard job. This is a hard job at any level. And the reality is most people don't understand, you know, some of the aspects of policing. But also there's a reality is sometimes police don't understand the issues and problems in communities and how we're perceived. And so those two need to match up a lot better. We need to learn from one another so we can be way more responsive in, in a way that, that we're never over-policing or under-policing because of these misunderstandings. And in that way, it'll help keep Boston safer. Uh, you know, people will feel safer. You know, officers will be able to do more. It'll prevent more crime in general. You know, it, it, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, in my okay. opinion. Riders and transit workers met at the steps of the State House last Tuesday, calling on legislature to sign low-income fare provision into law. The Public Transit Public Good Coalition, backed by Senator Lydia Edwards, held the press conference. The group presented a giant Charlie card with over 1,000 petition signatures to Governor Baker and members of the House. Lower-income communities and those of color depend most on public transportation. With ridership down and inflation continuing to rise, MBTA riders are demanding affordability. When you're in a family of low-wage workers, every penny, every cent counts. Because a $90 monthly pass is a lot for, for my family. And even for a bus card, it's $50, but there's still a lot. So what I do is that sometimes I walk 15 minutes to the bus so that I can save 70 cents because that 70 cent will go to my next ride for the bus. And this is how I make sure that we can put food on the table. For years, working families, environmental justice communities, and transit workers of the Public Transit Public Good Coalition have told officials that we need low-income fare. We need it because riders are tired of scrimping just to afford basic rights 
of mobility in their, in their own towns, cities, and regions. We need it because the inequity in our, in our Commonwealth leaves people who are dependent on transit the most, including people of color, women behind. We need to make sure that the current prosperity of our Commonwealth does not just go only to the middle and high income people, but is invested in meeting basic needs of families across the region. So this is not a giveaway, this is not a handout. This is an, a helping hand to make sure some of the hardest working people are able to go to work, go to the hospital, take their kids to school, are able to just move without, without a burden. This is about making sure that they are seen and that they know the Commonwealth is working just as hard for them. There's a new chief in town at the Boston Fire Department, actually several. Last Friday at Dorchester's Florian Hall, Paul Burke was ceremonially sworn in as the new fire commissioner of the Boston Fire Department. After his oath, the 32-year veteran swore in Robert Calabrese as Chief of Operations Field Services and Rodney Marshall as Chief of Operations Support Services. To sweeten the achievement, the new chiefs were pinned by family members with Calabrese's wife and Marshall's four-year-old son bestowing the honors. Both highly respected in the department, Calabrese and Marshall are Boston College graduates adding new meaning to Boston Strong. I respect all the members in the field and we have, we have a great rapport, so I'm very confident that any issues that uh, I might have or they might have that we can collaborate and, and get through them. And that's basically the, the job of a firefighter is being able to uh, mitigate and change on a dime of any situation that we come upon and get the job done. Promotions such as these to the highest levels of leadership within our department represent particular measures of commitment and fortitude. And the three men you see before you here this morning embody the traits that we as Boston firefighters hold in the highest regard. They are emotionally invested in our profession. They are capable at their craft and they are leaders. And I have no doubt that they are ready and eager to lead the greatest fire department in the nation forward. Yeni Hernandez is a Latinx award-winning graphic designer and muralist from the North Shore of Boston, now residing in Dorchester. Of Puerto Rican descent, her work pulls from her heritage and is often infused with vibrant colors and tropical foliage. Working in print, digital, and paint, Yeni's work incorporates color, typography, and hand lettering. Her work includes messages of positivity, encouragement, and finding one's voice. Kelly had some time to sit down with Yeni to talk about her gorgeous installation that opened at the Prudential Center last month. Here's your interview. Yeni, thank you so much for joining us today on BNN News. It's a pleasure, thank you for having me. We're really excited to talk to you today. Um, we love having artists on, and I love interviewing artists. So I always kind of start with the same question. Uh, what was your path Oof. to becoming an that's, artist? That's a great question, because it varies for everyone. And so mine's, um, I was a graphic designer for a lot of years. And so I've always been in the creative field, but my transition into public art and muraling has been recent. And oh. that came about from a combination of a few things. Um, first and foremost, I moved to Salem a couple years ago. Salem. I love Salem. No longer there, but while I was there, I got to experience public art. So they have a great program through the Urban Art Point. And we're talking about like three stories worth of murals, oh. side of buildings. And it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to art in that manner. 
and um, they have a couple of programs they run during the course of the year that kind of encourage me that you always see hey apply apply and that yeah. kind of incepted in my mind and then uh, two other things happened one I got to see my first muralist painting live in the wild wow. and uh, it happened during my lunch break I saw uh, Silvia Chavez Lopez who's an artist here in Boston and I got to see her paint and it was revolutionary to me I said oh my gosh here's someone who's a fellow Latina who looks like me and I just for some reason it planted the see that I could do it too and lastly my best friend Anna did a thing started muraling and she let me pick up a paintbrush and between all those three things I couldn't go back I said oh this is I'm gonna try this that's like a dream yes, yes. how many murals have you done since then I'm really bad at counting my murals I'm gonna go with <laughs> less than ten okay more than six I'm pretty I'm somewhere in that ballpark um, I started uh, during the pandemic so oh wow yes it's so pretty recent. are they um, in Boston all of them or? so a majority of them are in the North Shore because that's where I started okay um, so there's in Gloucester um, Salem I've made my way into Chelsea and my recent mural is actually my like debut in Boston so yeah, it's been fun kind of growing around and being part of different towns. You're all over Massachusetts. Yeah. Today I specifically want to talk about your piece in Boston. How did this come about? How did the inspiration come? Yeah, so my most recent project is called Pone Vuela Tus Sueños, Let Your Dreams Take Flight. And it came about with a um, from collaboration with Now and There and BXB Boston. Um, and yeah, uh, Now and There has some great programs and they reached out and we just started really kind of going for it. I love to take over spaces. So for me, I was like, the bigger, the better. And they were like, we are here for it. And so it was um, kind of a match made in heaven where they just really know how to support their artists and they really fostered my vision and so that's kind of how it came about the inspiration behind it mm. um, came about <laughs> this is kind of cheesy but it's true my mom wrote me a poem when I was a little girl Aww. and it was a poem of encouragement and in it it started with like Ponle Vuela Tus Sueños which is let your dreams take flight and the whole poem is about hey little girl one day you're gonna grow up chase your dreams never stop and it's probably the sweetest thing anyone's ever yes. written for me and so throughout the course of my life, um, we've kind of said that in shorthand to each other where she'll be like, you know, you're like, you don't look, you look a little down, put flight to your dreams. And so it's been encouragement that I've had my whole life and it has made a difference. So when I got this opportunity to make something in both English and Spanish, I said, this is what I'm saying. This is what I want to say to everybody. And then in Spanish, this is really what I want to say to my fellow Latinos. Like, hey, we've got this, you can do this. Wherever you are in life, keep going. It's, it's so possible. nice that your mom is <laughs> yes. in, instilled in this piece. Um, so what was the process? Where is it? How long did it take? Yeah. So um, it is located at the entrance of the Prudential on 800 Boylston Street. Wow. And it's a takeover of their glass atrium, so about 2,500 square feet. It's made out of vinyl. Um, wow. It's, you know, there's sections you can see through. So when you go inside, there's some really cool shadows that happen. And inside, the main entrance is also the staircase has been taken over. So the artwork kind of literally like leads you in and up into the Prudential. So that's that's kind of how it takes over the space and um, as far as how long it took. So it took a while to get there. I can imagine. I mean, um, making something of this scale just includes so much work and a lot of different kinds of collaboration. I have to tell you, it was wonderful working with Now and There and BXP. So 
praises to them. They were, <laughs> they were amazing. Um, the installation itself was three overnights from 9.30 to about 5 in the morning. Oh, that doesn't seem that bad. No, no. I mean, for the, for the few of us who had to stay there the whole time, luckily I got to be able to go home and sleep a couple of those yeah. days. But some of the team members were really supportive and like so committed to staying, you know, three nights in a row. And so that's kind of uh, the, the, the recipe to getting a project like this off the ground. How long is it there for? It's going to be there from uh, now till about mid-October. Oh, great. So yeah. there's plenty of time to go and check it out. Yeah. I'm curious how you took a piece of art and then transferred it to vinyl and then into the Prudential Center. Yes. So um, this is where I'm very grateful for my kind of experience as far as like I was a designer first yeah. and then I transitioned into a muralist. So when we were presented with this opportunity, there was a moment like, oh, wait, can you do that? And I'm like, oh, well, luckily I can because of this experience. And so I was able to really just use my like my vision and just kind of apply it to wherever it needed to be. And glass, this was new for me. I've not worked on glass. Yeah. Um, so there was a bit of a take a leap here, um, but it worked out and it's, it's quite beautiful. I do have to say. Congratulations. I can't wait to see it. It's just right up the street. So yeah, there's, yeah. Um, there's plenty of time too. I love oh, that yeah, it's going to yeah. October. So when people see this, what do you hope they take away from it? Yeah, so um, there's actually a couple of tiers of things I hope they take away from it. Great. So first and foremost, for everybody, I hope they feel encouraged. I hope that this makes them feel like, hey, I really do want to pursue my dreams. Um, give them that little bump of like, you can do it, because yeah. a lot that runs through the through all of my work. I really do believe in positivity. I believe in like pushing that out into the community because it does cycle through. Yes, you know, it's so important. So I want to be a backdrop that's positive for people going to lunch, going shopping, walking around, driving by. I want you to have that moment of color and happiness. And then second underneath that is this kind of little coded message that I've put. Um, a lot of the images are actually images that I think fellow Latinos would recognize. Nice. Um, we have a cafetera, which is a traditional coffee maker that we we use all the time. We have amapolas, which are hibiscus flowers, pretty much oh, foliage and plants that you might see throughout you know, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. So I wanted to kind of give a sense of like that homeliness and nostalgia, and I wanted them to be able to identify and have that moment of identification. Yes, that's so important. Exactly, especially in an area where you probably aren't expecting it. When you're at the Peru, you're probably thinking shopping, maybe food, yeah. but I want you to have that moment because there's such a wide swatch of people who walk through this so area. So many people. Exactly. So I want um, fellow Latinos, Latinx, us, to have that moment of, oh my gosh, is that what I think it is? And it's in English, but wait, it's in Spanish. I want them to feel seen. And that's really important for me in my work. It's beautiful. So on two tiers for everybody, happiness, joy, like support that you can do it. And for the fellow community, I see you, you see me, we're here, we got this. I love it. And there's a social media component as well, yes. I, I read. Yes. So we are collecting stories. Um, during the opening event for this piece, we had actually had interviews going on throughout the course of it. Oh, wow. Pretty much asking people, hey, what are your dreams? What, your, what has your journey been like? Mm -hmm. Tell us about you. Um, and so there is also a social component. I think it's a you know, hashtag take, Boston take, take flight. Horrible at this part, but I'm sure we can, you can we'll share. Get it up. <laughs> yeah. So um, there we'll be collecting stories, and eventually what we'll do with some of those stories is that we'll illustrate some of them or letter them. And so we're looking to kind of give further life to the project. 
um, in this way. So we're still kind of toiling with how that will kind of come about, but that's kind of the idea behind collecting stories. That's great. You can include people who aren't even necessarily artists. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. And so is this piece, once it's taken down, that's it's gone, it's done, yeah. can it go somewhere else? So, I mean, this is um, <laughs> this is kind of the lifespan of temporary public art. Right. And so going in, knowing that it has a shelf life, it really does make it ethereal and like, very precious. So enjoy it while it's there. Enjoy it throughout the course of the day, because the sun really does play a huge part in how this you see this. That's so creative. At nighttime, it's gorgeous. I think it might be my favorite time. Um, in the middle of the day, it's super vibrant. And so I would just say, while you're in the area, I think you'll enjoy Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Um, so where can people learn more about you and the organizations that you've been working with for this project? Sure. I am pretty easy to find. <laughs> I, I am on Instagram mainly, and I'm at, at Yeni Create. Okay. And there you will see all of my work, and I post kind of behind the scenes as well, so you get to see my process a little bit. And so, yeah, that's kind of where you can find me. And the organizations that I worked with uh, were Now and There, so you can find them at Now and There, okay. and BXB Properties. Okay. And so they made everything possible. That's incredible. So um, I'm hoping that people will go check this out. They mm -hmm. have till October. Yes. And I want to thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. For BNN News, I'm Kelly Ransom. In Savin Hill, McConnell Park is one of the latest parks to receive renovations in Boston's commitment to expanding open spaces. Four years ago, Dorchester coastal areas, including the park, experienced severe flooding in the aftermath of two nor'easters that rocked New England. But last Friday, Savin Hill youth and local residents joined Michelle Wu with members of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for a ribbon cutting of the newly renovated McConnell Park. With $7.1 million of improvements, the 6.2-acre facility includes a granite rock barrier wall and raised site to ensure the park can resist the elements. In addition to being climate resilient, McConnell Park is now an inclusive outdoor space. The Challenger baseball field, built with a closer outfield fence and accessible short pile artificial turf field, is a testament to children of all abilities. Our kids who have um, varying abilities um, and different types of needs and supports, this is giving them an opportunity to play baseball, um, something that maybe they couldn't have done before. So we really, really, truly appreciate that the city has built this field for all of our youth, not just for the youth without disabilities, but for our youth with with fantastic abilities who now have that opportunity to play baseball, have a buddy, um, and really have that opportunity to socialize, which otherwise they may, may not be afforded. This is a park that's able to flood. It's built with materials that are going to reduce the impacts and reduce the maintenance so that it can withstand the increasing uh, pace of storms that will come in the future. It also, while it maintains access and connection to the water, as you can see here, they're built in through clever design, ele elevation and grade changes that culminate behind us in a line of protection that's going to contribute to broader neighborhood protection for decades to come. Well, this is a great, great day for the Savin Hill neighborhood and, and all of Boston because we've dedicated a new park here. It's absolutely amazing. And to be honest, there's not enough opportunities for children and families to gather uh, throughout the city. So anytime you can 
pull off something of this magnitude and build a park this beautiful, it's just great for the community, it's, it's great for the city, and it's just so important for uh, not only the young people in our neighborhoods, but the teens and the families as well. There's a new show stewing at Hub Theatre Company of Boston, Slow Food by Wendy McLeod. The three-person comedy recently opened July 16th at Club Cafe. Find out why producing artistic director Lauren Elias is so excited to share this new offering with audiences in the following conversation. I'm here with Lauren Elias, uh, producing artistic director of Hub Theatre Company of Boston. Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So Slow Food is the company's latest production, the, the actual first since the pandemic. So yes. <laughs> tell me, what do audiences have in store with this play? So they have a real treat, both for the, in a theatrical sense and a stomach sense. It's a on the surface, it appears to be a very fun, lighthearted comedy, and it is, but it's also got tremendous heart and really examines what is it that keeps us going and what what fills us up in all of the senses, not just a hunger sense, but it is also just uproariously hilarious. Anyone who's ever been hangry will completely identify with this show. Uh, why this play? Why should people come see it? This We chose this play because we really wanted something that was fun. We really just want, you know, it's been a very long two years. Heck, it's been a very long two days for most of us. <laughs> and so we really just wanted something that would be enjoyable for everybody, that you could bring everyone from your grandmother to your 12-year-old niece and everyone have a great time, but also everybody leave with not, with, with you know, feeling like they didn't, you know, it's not like they just, you know, sat and watched theatrical Cheetos. It was moving, but also just very funny and while you're laughing and having a grand old time you're thinking about things and realizing things and appreciating things and appreciating the people in your life and being with them in person which is something that i think we've all really missed these past couple of years and you talked a little bit about the hunger of the show and why people should come to see it um it's a very intimate show, three-person cast. Uh, can you tell me more about the, the rehearsal process? What was it like for all of the actors to come back together and oh. do this show? It was, it was so great to finally get everybody actually in a room, but there was definitely that moment of, you know, we're getting ready for the first rehearsal and it's like, oh crud, I need to put on pants. Uh, <laughs> but it's been absolutely, wonderful i don't think we realized how much we missed being in the same room until all of a sudden it's like oh yeah this i remember this and it's wonderful and we did have to postpone this show a couple of times because of the omicron spike and what have you so we're really just so thrilled to have to have everybody in the room ready to go and rehearsing oh yes i'm definitely sure that viewers will be excited as well so hub theater company is a fairly new th theater company on the scene around since 2013. Uh, with all of the companies and uh, theaters doing theater, what would you say is the driving force behind Hub Theater Company? What sets it apart from the other theaters? So for us, our big thing is we founded because we, want, we realized that there was a gap in the Boston theater scene. There was no company that was pay what you can for every seat, every show, every time. There were most companies do a pay what you can night or two or three, but if you don't 
if you can't make those, then, well, guess you can't see the show. So we really wanted to make a point to remove the barrier of money between our art and our audience. That's why. And tell me more about uh, your position as producing artistic director. How did you uh, come to the company? What was your, your journey in becoming uh, producing artistic director there? So I actually founded the company with a dear friend of mine, John Jeffrian, who has since uh, moved on to the Washington DC area with his son. And so when he, and so then I was the managing director. And when he left, I assumed I became producing artistic director. So I'm in charge of all of the unglamorous, unartistic stuff, you know, booking the venues, paying the taxes, the payroll, all of the unfun, but very necessary things that it takes to get a show up and running. Absolutely, and it takes a, a, a huge village to, to do theater, as, as you know. Um, so in regard to the show, um, it's opening on July 16th. Um, how can people learn more about the production? www.hubtheaterboston.org, that's theater with an R-E. And yeah, we really, we hope to have a great turnout. We're so glad to be back in person and we would really love to see all of our audience there in person also. It's a great time and you can get food during it. Oh, even better. Yes, it is true dinner theater. We're at Club Cafe and it's delicious. Highly recommend the crispy chicken pesto sandwich in case anyone cares. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm salivating already. <laughs> I will say, I think that's been the best part for my crew is that we're working back there and we just get, din you know, dinner, there's a soda gun, we're having a grand old time. <laughs> All right, fabulous. Well, uh, we're wishing the cast um, oh, to break their legs. I'm not going to say uh, the good luck, but may they break their legs. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Boston, that's all for today. Remember, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, RCN Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. Listen to the radio. You can hear BNN News at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on WBCA 102.9 FM. Thank you for tuning in. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you on Thursday.